Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, I love you so very much. It's the joy of my heart to be with you again here this morning. And uh, as most of you know, I believe in what's called expository preaching, which is verse by verse, word by word through books of the Bible and topics that are important to us. Uh, But I think here for the next two weeks, I've been preaching some standalone messages that don't actually fit inside a sermon series. And I'm going to do that for this week and then for next week and then hopefully as we get into June uh, Lord willing, I feel the Spirit of God moving me into 1 Timothy, so that probably will be the next book that we uh, journey through together word by word. But today, I'm parking it in my favorite book inside my favorite book, the book of Psalms. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I love Psalms. And uh, I said if I ever became a pastor, we would start every worship service out with our leaders reading a psalm, and that's what we've been doing for several years. Thank you, Brother Dwayne, for, for leading us this morning. There's something about the Psalms that cultivate worship and praise, and acknowledging who God is. Uh, I do love every book of the Bible because it's all the Word of God, but I, I especially love the Psalms because if you read all the Psalms together, they, they cover every range of human emotion. They cover every life situation uh, that you could possibly be in. Uh, they cover all the major doctrines of the Christian faith, and they do so with a heart of worship and praise and leaning upon God. And so, today we're going to be uh, in Psalm 37, and I could, I could take a month and preach this one psalm in a month, and I'm only going to take two verses, verses 23 through 24. The title of our message today is, The Destiny of Our Delights. The Destiny of Our Delights. And before we get into the text, I'm going to prime the pump here and generate some memories uh, to get us thinking about what uh, King David would have us to think about this passage. And I want to ask you a real simple question. Do you remember what it was like to travel before the invention of GPS? All right. Anyone in the sanctuary under 20 probably probably doesn't. Okay, they're all shaking their heads saying, you mean you actually got into a car and drove without somebody telling you which direction to turn at every step? Yes, we did. In fact, before GPS, there was three ways that you could find to get where you're going. There was... These, these big, huge things called maps. You remember those? Yeah. All right. Maps were a way that you could find your way. Second is by recommendation of somebody else, which I learned in the south is a little bit different than up north. Up north, when I used to ask for directions, they would tell you what corners to turn and what uh, monuments to look out for. In the south, they tell you who to look out for. Make a left turn when you see so-and-so sitting on the porch. He's going to be sitting there. When you see, wave to him, you'll make a right-hand turn there. That's the second way that we could find direction. And the third is intuition, of which I have none. And I give you three examples of my lack of directional intuition. One time, your smart, brilliant pastor was coming back from Augusta at night with no GPS or map, So I decided the best thing that I could do was turn on AM radio, and if the frequency from the Statesboro station was getting stronger, that meant I was getting closer. (laughs) It's It's like a sailor trying to navigate with the stars. Not a great idea. It did not work. One time, I actually was called to go visit a friend of mine in Rocky Ford, and I realized when I crossed into Allendale, South Carolina, that I had missed a turn. And, and the very first time that I ever stepped foot in Metter, Georgia, I was in college, and I worked at Hackers Golf Park, which is now part of the clubhouse, and uh, the owner there said, hey, listen, I borrowed an aerator from a guy named Greg Wolf. You need to take this back to him. And so I drove a trailer 
He said, you can't miss Willow Lake. Metter's not a big town. You can't miss it. Guess what? You can miss it. I went all the way to Millen before I realized you missed a turn. So I think I've stated a pretty good case that I am not good at direction. But I'm here today to tell you this. When your heart and your soul belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, He provides direction. And we may stumble and fall off the path from time to time, but He is the one that makes sure that we get where we need to go. I'll give you an example of this before we open up the text. Here's an example where my honesty and my lack of direction got me the direction I needed. So I got hired at a place called Asphalt Enterprises when I was at seminary. You've heard me talk about this many times. Uh, I spent two years driving a sweeper truck on third shift. Now there's two problems with, my, with me uh, applying for that job. And I told them in the interview, I'll be the hardest worker you ever hire. I got two problems. I don't drive well at night and I don't know where I'm going. And so what the owner or the manager of that company, Buddy, you know what Buddy said to me? He said, if you commit to working your tail off for me, I'll make sure you never get lost. And so he took a GPS and he pre-programmed every stop of my route for the entire month into that GPS. And so all I had to do was get into the truck, turn on the GPS, and listen to the directions. Did I still get lost? Sometimes. But most of the time, I got exactly where I needed to go because that man knew the desire of my heart to honor that company and do a good job to represent him. And so he made sure that my steps were established. Today, as we enter into Psalm number 37, King David is uttering these words. And this whole psalm really is about trusting in the Lord and understanding that he has not left us, that he will not forsake us. And that he will not forget us. And and if the desire of our heart is to love him and follow him and be like him, if that's our desire, though we may stumble, he will uphold our hand. Though we don't know where to go, he will establish our steps. So the goal is not to worry about the journey. The goal is to worry about who it is that we're pursuing in the journey. What is the desire of your heart? Is it to know and follow Jesus? That's what I'm going to be asking us here today as we walk through Psalm 37. And the big idea that I'd want to share with you in one sentence would be this. The delights of our heart will determine the direction of our life and the destiny of our soul. Okay, you see the words on the screen, but I'll repeat it again. The delights of our heart will determine the direction of our life and the destiny of our soul. We're going to be looking really closely today at why God cares most of all about your heart before he cares about your actions. Because it's the motive of why we do what we do that God cares more about than we actually do. We're going to get to the core issues that God cares about most in just two verses. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 37. Again, we're going to read just two verses, verses 23 through 24. If you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 551 in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, Out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, we're in Psalm 37, verses 23 through 24. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, and again, we thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you and praise you for your word. 
Father, there is so much richness in this one psalm alone. We could, we could walk through it for weeks. But today we're zeroing in on just two verses, Father, two verses that you've given to us that you will establish our steps and you will uphold our hand when you are the desire of our heart. Father, simple but not easy truth. And so, Father, here's what I pray. As we walk through this passage together, would you anoint every word that comes off of my tongue that the honor and glory would be yours. And would you open every ear, every eye, every mind, every heart to receive it and respond to it in repentance and faith that our desires, Father, the core of who we are, would be changed today, that we'd be centered and focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ alone. All of these things we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 37, again, I, I don't want to say it's one of my favorites. Every psalm in there is one of my favorites. But David certainly had reason to wonder in seasons of his life if God was going to abandon him. Perhaps you have felt the same way. Uh, in our devotional assigned readings that we're walking through as a church, that reading plan that I handed out in January, this is the week that we walk through the end of 2 Samuel when Absalom, the son of David, begins to pursue David and try to kill him so that he can take the throne of Israel. <clears throat> so we have to wonder sometimes, are we going the right direction? Are we, are we making all the right steps when we're at a point in our life where our own children are trying to kill us and take what we have? So, so there are moments where David would say, God, are you still there? Or, or even worse, God, have I messed up so bad that I have lost your blessing on my life? We see later on in Psalm 51 that God does create in David a new heart, renew a right spirit within him, restore to him the joy of his salvation, and open up his lips that he would declare praise. And he also learned that there was consequences for his sin. But one of the things David proclaims through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this passage is, if you truly love God, and I mean he is the center of your life, he will establish your steps you do not have to worry if you've made a wrong turn because if you had, he will bring you back on the right path. You do not have to worry if you have fallen because if you do, he will pick you right back up. The key is not how great directionally you are. I praise him for that. The key is how much do you love him? How much is he the object of your desires and your worship? The word that we're going to use today is delight. And what I want to say is this. I am not saying that if you delight in Jesus, you do not have other hobbies and interests. All right. I'm not saying that if you don't delight, if you delight in Jesus, that means that you should hate your family and you should hate golf and you should hate this and you should hate that. No, that's not what I'm saying. But when I say the word delight in this passage and in the message as we walk through the text, what I'm saying by delight is the primary desire of your heart. Is Jesus the primary desire of your heart? The time and the money and the effort that you put forth in your life, does it show that Jesus Christ is who you think about when you wake up, who you think about as you walk through the day, and who you think about as you lay down at night? Is he the desire of your heart? That's what Jesus wants to know. That's what David is talking about as we walk through this together. You know, the Bible is so clear about the human heart, and I I know this is not the first time that I've mentioned this, but repetition is good for us. When the Bible talks about the human heart, the Bible has a much different definition of the human heart than we do. We have what I call a Valentine's Day definition of the human heart. And that definition is our heart is how we feel, okay? All right, think about those Valentine's Day conversation hearts. 
all right? These sweet little one-sentence phrases that we utter to those whom we love. Emotions are good. Emotions are important. But emotions change like the wind. I don't know if you know this. But our heart is more than our emotion because our heart not only represents our emotion, it represents who we are. So if the world's definition of the human heart is that Valentine's Day definition of how I feel, the Bible's definition of the heart is who you are at your core. And you know who you are at your core by what you love, what you fear, and what you desire. Last week I talked about the fact that God wants us to equally love him and fear him. And they're not polar opposite, they're complementary. When you fear how awesome he is, you're obedient to him. And when you're obedient to him and you experience his blessings and that relationship with him, you learn to love him and that love grows. But as those who've been married a long time, we celebrated in our prospective member class that uh, Douglas and Sylvia Carty have been married 57 years on the 28th of May. Praise God for that. Brother Dwayne Tucker, who stood up here and read the psalm, he's been married for over 60 years now. So they would say, they could tell you that love is not an emotion. Because the emotions change, but the commitment to one another does not. And so when the Bible talks about the heart, and God wants to know your heart, yes, He does want you to have emotions that lead to worshiping Him. He does want you to enjoy Him. But your heart's more than your emotion. Do you love him that you're committed to living for his glory? Do you desire him and that you think about him throughout the course of the day? Do you you praise him for who he is? And do you fear him, knowing not to get out of line because he is worthy of our obedience? David is saying, if you, with your heart, have God as your delight, then the promise is that God responds in return is that he's going to establish every step of your walk And he is going to uphold you with his hand every time that you fall. You know, again, the Bible is so, so laser beam focused on heart change. All right, let me give you an example. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord knows your heart. And he wants to change your heart. I know that we want to change our habits. But we've got to get it from the inside out, not the outside in. Or we will turn into Pharisees, who the Bible said are whitewashed tombs on the outside, but dead man's bones on the inside. God wants to change the heart first, and the habits come from there. Another passage, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. This ought to put the fear of God in many people in this room, especially men. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's saying you're already an adulterer even if you've never committed it because it's already there. It's already in your heart. Think about the first sin that was ever committed. Now, yes, Satan came into the garden deceptively as a serpent, but guess what? Satan could not make Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. He could deceive them. But he deceived them by enabling them to follow their heart instead of following God's command. That desire to be like God and to know what God wants to know, the serpent told Adam and Eve that they would have that, but they had to have that desire in their own heart to want that before they did what they did. And so God cares about the heart more than anything else because if the heart changes, everything else will change along with it. And God wants your heart. He wants your heart. That's what he wants more than anything else. 
And here's why. Proverbs 4.23 says this. I read this several years ago at a baccalaureate service at Metter High School. Uh, I entitled a graduation message, Why We Should Not Follow Our Heart. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We're not supposed to follow our heart. We're supposed to guard our heart. Because what goes into the heart is what is going to come out of the heart. And what comes out of the heart is what is going to determine your destiny. Which is why what comes out of our heart needs to be more of Jesus. It needs to be more of Jesus. So, as we walk through this short passage, my points are going to come right out of the text. This is going to be really simple, but not easy. Number one, delight yourself in Christ and He will establish your steps. Okay, delight yourself in Christ and he will establish your steps. Listen to verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Uh, I know this, certainly the younger folks in the sanctuary, those in their teens and 20s listening to me, uh, most of you may be worried about your calling in life. Okay? Did I miss my calling? You know, I remember when I left baseball and I got into marketing and I would tell people about my baseball uh, background and how much I loved announcing games. And some of my marketing coworkers would say, man, you missed your calling. You should have stayed in baseball. And I, I used to lay in bed at night going, did I make a mistake? Should I have stayed behind the microphone? And I found out years later that all, that, all those hundreds and hundreds of games that I did, it was preparation for me to be able to speak his word. I praise him for that because I believe that if I'm following God, I'm not going to miss my calling. I may veer off the path for a season, but I will find my way right back on. Just like GPS, right? You make a few wrong turns, GPS will recalculate. Sometimes that word recalculating can be scary, but also uh, you can be thankful. Because I don't know how to recalculate, but God does. And he will put us back on the path that he wants us to go. So what I want to say is, if you have worried that you've missed your calling in life, for those of you who are young and still thinking about your future, and you're worried about what your calling might be, don't worry about your calling. Keep your eyes off of your calling and on Christ. Uh, if you are older and feel like you have missed your calling, don't worry about that. Put your eyes on Christ, and He will accomplish through you what He originally intended for you. You know, one of the examples of that, I know he's going on to be with the Lord, but many people in this room remember, remember uh, Brother Andy Heyman, who pastored at New Life. Brother Andy uh, would often uh, talk about how in his 20s he went to a very liberal seminary that did not teach the virgin birth of Christ. The seminary taught that you could not trust in the Bible, and it train-wrecked his faith for over 20 years. And when he finally came back to his path, he, and he pastored uh, in Cobbtown, then at New Life, and then he finished up at Shellman's Bluff, he said to me one time, Bo, I can't make up the 20 years that the locusts have stolen from me but I am on the path that God intended for me to have. Eventually, God brought him back to where he needed to be, and he pastored until he you know, went to be, be with the Lord. And we need to remember that. We can veer off the path for a season, but a lot of times that happens when we focus more on our calling than we do on Christ. Jesus says, stay focused, look at me. Just look at me. You don't know how you're going to pay your bills next month. Don't worry. You don't know whether you should get a new job. Don't worry. You don't know how you're going to get past this doctor's report. Don't worry. Follow me. Don't follow your calling. Don't follow doctor's reports. Follow Jesus, and he will establish your steps. He will establish your steps. When we delight in him, that means we follow him. 
Because guess what? You go where your heart desires. I don't know if you know this, but our heart determines the decisions of our life. We do things because we want to do them. One of the scariest things that we have to remind ourselves of, I heard, this, I heard a pastor say this on the radio not too long ago, and it was sobering for me. Here's the question that he asked. He said, if I have the Spirit of God living inside of me, and I have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, and I have received eternal life, and I'm being changed, why do I still sin? I mean, it's a good question, right? Why do we still sin if we've been saved, and we're being redeemed, and the Holy Spirit's working in us? He said something I wasn't ready for. He said, we still sin because in the moment that we sin, we love the sin more than we love the Savior. That's scary when you think about it. It's not that we don't love Jesus because people in this room, I would say that you genuinely love Jesus. If you're born again, that means you do love the Lord. But in that moment where we, we want to say something to get back at somebody and that, and that anger rises up in us, you know how it is when somebody hurts you, you think about the most sarcastic way to respond in a way that will just stab them right in the heart. In that moment, your, your love for that sin is higher than your love for Jesus. And that's why Jesus wants us to give us, give him our heart. Because when his, our heart belongs to him, we can begin to love him more than we love the sin. And that's when we start truly repenting of that sin. Because here's the deal. You're always going to want to desire something. All right? Those who have gone through addiction, all right? Those who've been through AA, when you give up drinking, you're naturally going to go and grab onto something else, Right? Brother Larry, I've heard you talk about that before. When you give up one thing, you are going to want to go after something else. This is something that Dave has taught uh, at length on Sunday nights in Galatians. We are changing our affections. We are looking at Jesus as the primary affection of our life. And as we love him more, we begin to love the sin less. And those things start to fall away. Now, here's the thing. Some sins die hard. I don't know if you know this. There are some sins in my life and in your life that we pick up and put down and pick up and put down. And in a moment, we do love Jesus more than that sin, and we overcome it. And then a week later, when we think we finally kicked it in the tail, that desire overcomes us again. And then we do the one thing we said we didn't want to do, right? Paul said, why is it that I don't do the things I want to do, and I do do the things that we don't want to do? You know why? Because we're sinful. But we're not sinful without hope. We have hope that God will change our hearts if we follow him, and the more that we follow him, the more that we'll love him, and the more that we love him, the more that he'll protect our steps, and our destiny will be led by the steps of Jesus. You know, I'll get to this towards the end of the message, but if we don't follow Jesus, we will follow our desires, and our desires will become our destiny, and that could be a scary thing. So again, number one, delight yourself in Christ, and he will establish your steps. Number two, Delight yourself in Christ, and he will uphold your hand. All right, verse 24 says this. Again, I'll read 23 and 24 together because they're so short. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. But listen to verse 24. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. You know what this says to me? As a perfectionist, I can take a deep breath. Because God is not looking for my perfection. He's looking for my progress. He wants me to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I was today and more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And guess what? I'm going to stumble along the way, and so are you. And if there's one thing that God is putting to death in my life, it is fear of failure because I have been knee-deep in that fear for a long time. 
But I'm asking God, and He's helping, and I am noticing little things in my life that He's helping me to overcome that fear because now my love for Him is more than it used to be. I, you know, I want to say this. However long I pastor, I want to say that my love for Jesus is stronger every single day. That's not always easy. There's a song that, that Jody sings. I know, Miss Sharon, it's one of your favorite songs that you asked him to sing a long time ago. And the, the, the part of the song is asking God for all these things. And then the, the bridge says, even if you don't, my heart will still love you. My heart will still praise you. It's kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're about to go into the fiery furnace. They're saying, oh yeah, God can deliver me. But even if he doesn't, praise be to God. Praise be to God. So to look at our hearts the way that we love Jesus does not, ma- does not mean that we don't make mistakes along the way. It means that if we do love him and he's the desire of our hearts, he will be right there with us to pick us up when we fall. He'll be right there to pick us up. And we can trust in that. And we can look back at our lives and see progress. You know, again, I- I've been almost haunted by this question that Dave asked me in the office about a month ago. He said, Bo, you shared with me a struggle that you have right now and you shared that same struggle with me. Uh, years ago at Emmanuel, when you look at your life, can you see progress? And I said, sometimes i got to squint. i got to really look. Someone give me a magnifying glass. I'm going to look really hard. But there are small little victories where I can say Jesus is growing in my heart. Um, one of the most frustrating things as a pastor and someone who's a, the- a student of theology is that your knowledge of God sometimes goes faster than your experience with God. And you can meet people that have all kinds of Bible knowledge, but they've got the spiritual walk of an infant. And sometimes I realize that people think I'm more mature than I am because my education has surpassed my spiritual maturity. I don't want to be an egghead that stands up here and spouts out all kinds of Bible facts. If I don't know Jesus, and if I don't love Jesus, if I stop loving Jesus, you need to kick me out of this pulpit. You really do, or this lectern today. Because that's what matters when all is said and done. Some of the godliest people have never stepped foot in a Bible classroom, but they love Jesus, and it saturates every word that they say. That's what I want to be. That's what I want our church to be. That's what I want you and your families to be, someone who just has a love for Jesus that changes everything. You know, I'm trying to be careful what I say about my bride because uh, I usually try to ask her permission first, and well, she's probably watching me on TV. I don't know if uh, she's, well, she's not in the nursery today. She's watching the Tiny Tots, I think. But I'm, I'm noticing in our marriage these little tiny glimmers of progress. We went shopping yesterday for three hours and didn't argue once. <laughs> Let me, not one time. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You don't know what progress that is. You don't. I say this all the time. Ashley and I argue more than any couple in Candler County, but we make up faster than any couple in Candler County because we're two very strong, leadership-driven, type A personalities, and that can be difficult. But I even sensed the presence of God yesterday when we were walking through the aisles of Hobby Lobby. (laughs) I'm being dead serious. She sent me with a bottle of uh, washable paint that she was getting for VBS. It was broken, so she said, go back. She was at the uh, cash register. She said, go back to the aisle and put it back and get one that's not broken. I said, okay, great. And about halfway down the aisle, I said, oh boy, I don't know which aisle. (laughs) She's at the register waiting for me. This is not going to be good. This is not going to go well. So I'm frantically going up and down the aisles. And then I call her on the phone. I said, baby, I'm trying. Where's it at? 
And she patiently told me where it was. And when I came back to give her the other one, she did not say anything about how long it took me to get it. <laughs> Progress. <laughs> Jesus is working in our lives. I know it's funny, but I'm being, I'm being truthful. Like, there are things that we have to look at in our lives and saying God is helping us to be further down the road than we were last week. And those little things add up to big things. But when I left that morning, uh, we were driving in the car, and I was thinking, Bo, make this a good day. Overlook irritations. Pray that she'll overlook her irritations. And let Jesus Christ be at the center of what we're doing today. Some days I will fall into weakness, and so will you. The key is, do you love Jesus more now than you did last week? And how is it showing in your life? Can you look back and say, I am not who I was. Maybe not who I want to be, but I'm not who I was. So, again, when we delight in Him, not only do we follow Him, but we lean on Him. We lean on Him to give us the strength where we are weak, to provide where we are lacking, to to be our focus when we have no direction. So number two, delight yourself in Christ and he will uphold your hand. Number three, this is just kind of a bow to tie it all together. I told Ashley yesterday, a bow makes everything better. Uh, Yes, pun intended. (laughs) Number three, delight yourself in Christ and he will transform your soul. That word is so important to me that I prayed that it would be a part of our mission statement before I even came to pastor this church. That's what I pray for Cedar Street Baptist Church Heads, hearts, and hands transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Transformed in the way that we serve God in our homes, in our marriages, in our families. Transformed in the way that we serve others in the workplace and out in the community. Transformed in the way that we worship God and remember Him and repent and confess our sin and grow close to Him. A constant process of transformation. Here's why you should not worry about your calling. All right, everybody in here has giftings and vocations, and we certainly want to do things that we enjoy, that we're gifted in doing. But the end of the day, the goal for your life is to become more like Jesus. If you die and you were a professional success that won plaques and trophies and awards, but you die not knowing Jesus and not becoming more like Jesus, then you have failed in your calling because God has put that calling on every human being's life. And here's why. Jesus is not only fully God, but he's also fully man, which means he is the representation of the image of God as a human being. So your goal after you get saved is to be more and more and more like Jesus. That's the goal of your life. That's the primary calling on your life. And if Jesus is the desire of your life, that desire will naturally follow him as you become more like him. Again, because of your personality, And because of your upbringing and the scars that you have from the the things that you've dealt with in life, there are some areas of being more like Jesus that come natural. And there are some that we really struggle with. We all have them. The key is, are we keeping our eyes on Jesus and asking God, help us to love him more tomorrow than we did today, that our love for him would increase. The more that we love Jesus, the less that we worry about what the scale says or what our bodies look like when we look in the mirror or who affirms us on Facebook or what other people think about us. We, we care more about God and his picture of who we are. I don't know if you know about this, but the world puts burdens on us that we cannot carry. Uh, the, the images of our bodies, you know, even the, even the models on the magazine covers don't really look that way. There's something called Photoshop. There's something called makeup. They don't really look that way. People on Facebook, they're not that happy. The people on Facebook are not that happy. 
And you stop laughing, you're not that happy either. Everything we put on Facebook is edited to show people that we have it all together, but can I tell you, we don't. I'm a pastor, and I'm a mess, and so are you. You're not a pastor, but you may be a mess. The key is not how well I have it together. The key is how much do I love Jesus? He's the one that has it all together, and I want more of him today than I had yesterday. Let me just read it. We're getting towards the the conclusion here, but let me just read a few passages of Scripture that, that illustrate how much God cares about you being transformed. I know you've heard almost every passage I'll read, but think about it through the lens of someone who just wants to love Jesus more. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with un- unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're being transformed to be made in the image of the one who loves us and who saved us and who is making us more like him. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I know he's not here today. This is Eddie Jones' favorite passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How do we know that we're new? The primary way is we love God more now than we did before. Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's why I'm preaching. You're hearing God's word. You're being transformed first in your mind. Then it moves down to your heart. And as you love Jesus more, it will come out in your hands. And by the way, your mouth, the things that you do and the things that you say. And then Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The motivation of my life is to live for Christ because I love him. And because I love him, I will change and I will become more like him. And I will also lean on him when I fail. And I will lean on him when I'm tempted. Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In layman's terms, turn away from the sinful version of you and embrace the salvation you have because the spiritual version of you is now called to be like Jesus. And we do that by loving him more. And then Philippians 1.6, here's the encouragement. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That fits perfectly with what we said at the end of Psalm 37.24, which says, when we fall, we will not be cast headlong, for he will uphold our hand. Which means if you're a Christian, and the Spirit of God lives in you, and you're worried that you're going to veer from the path so far that you'll fall away, if you're truly Christian, and you've truly been born again, You cannot lose what you did not earn and the Spirit of God will bring you back to His path and He will finish what He started inside of you to make you more like Jesus. So let me sum all this up as we hit the top of the hour. Jesus Christ directs the lives of those who delight in Him, but He gives others over to the direction of their desires when they delight in something else. Let me say that one more time so it'll sink in. Jesus Christ directs the lives of those who delight in him, but he gives others over to the direction of their desires when they delight in something else. Again, that word delight means the primary desire of your heart. Here's the thing about God. 
He works in us and through us to do things that we cannot do on our own. But he still gives, gives us the ability to make genuine free will choices. And those choices are a reflection of what is true and real in our hearts. And if you will not give your life to Jesus, if you will not commit to loving him more or even asking him when you don't feel like you are loving Jesus as you should, sometimes the most powerful thing you could do is confess that you don't love Jesus and say, God, I don't love you, but I want to. It's kind of like the father in the book of Mark who had the son that was demon-possessed, and he said to Jesus, if you can do anything, heal him. And Jesus said, if I can do anything, all things are possible for those who believe. And then he responded, I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe our best prayer could be, God, I love you, but help me, help me where I'm not loving you. Help me to love you more. Because here's the thing, your heart was made to love and desire. And if you don't desire Jesus, whatever you do desire most will be what God gives you over to. God says, if you do not want to walk my path, I give you over to the path that you want to walk. That's why when I see certain things that burden my heart, it's not because of the action, it's because of the heart. I'll give you an example. One of the things that burdens my heart, it it used to anger me, now it scares me, is when men of this church drop their wife and their kids off here and go golfing on Sunday. It's not that they're not in the sanctuary and God's taking an attendance sheet. That's not what it is. It's the desire of their heart, the joy of using whatever free time they have is wanting to be on a golf course more than wanting to be in the sanctuary of God. That's not a location problem. That's a heart problem. And and we need to pray. We need to pray for people that they would see all the things that is so grateful, you know, is so wonderful about Jesus. One of the things that is Dave's primary drive, he tells me this all the time about being a youth pastor. He said, you know, I just want them to see Jesus is better that he's more desirable than the things that they're doing. It's not that golf is bad. I finally got all my golf clubs uh, regripped through a donation of a generous brother in this church, and, and I was ready to golf this weekend in a tournament. Mother Nature had other ideas, but golf is a good thing. Leisure can be good. God gave us sports and, and fun to replenish our hearts, but never to take the place of Jesus in our hearts. Never to take the place of Jesus. If you do not desire Jesus above everything else, understand the warning. Jesus will give you over to your desires and your destiny will be based on you following that desire instead of following him. So as we enter into a time of invitation, let me just say this practically. You delight in Christ by following him. You delight in Christ by leaning on him. And you delight in Christ by becoming like him. Uh, Love is cultivated through commitment. I remember when Ashley walked down that aisle on November 24th, 2012. I was standing right here. And I was holding my vows. And I remember this thought in my head. I remember this thought in my head. Bo, you don't love her now like you're going to love her then. And I believe that. I love her more now than I ever have. And it will pale in comparison to years down the road if God would preserve our lives to how much I will continue to love her as I walk with her. Uh, I I can't help but love her more because I see the way that she runs our house and how hard she works and the prayers that she prays for me and all of my struggles. The same goes with Jesus. We can't will ourselves to love him more, but we can say, God, help me to love you more. And in in the process of waiting for you to help me, I'm going to obey you even when it's not fun, even when it's not easy. I'm going to turn away from a sin that the world loves and I'm going to follow you and say, multiply my love for you. And he will, because he promised. 
If our delight is in Him, He will establish our steps and He will uphold our hand. If you know Jesus, would you leave today praying that God would help you to love Him more? And if you do not love Jesus, let me tell you God's love for you. He loved you so much that He sent His Son to live the life that you should have lived, that you could not live on your own. He sent His Son on the cross to die the death that you deserve, taking on your punishment. He rose his son from the dead three days later, making a way from death to life so that you could have eternal life because you could not have that on your own. And he even sent his son up to the right hand of the Father and sent down his Holy Spirit so that God could live in you to make you more like Jesus because you can't do it in your own power. He loves you that much, but you have to be willing to admit that you need to be saved. You have to be willing to admit that your heart is filled with sin and desiring things more than Jesus, and that's not what your heart was designed for. Things are to be enjoyed, but Jesus is to be delighted. So if you do not know Jesus, let today be a day that you confess that to him and just cry out, Jesus, I don't love you, but I want to. Will you help me? He will answer that prayer because he does direct the steps of those who want to delight in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we love you, and uh, maybe not as we should, but hopefully more today than we did yesterday, and more tomorrow than we do today. Father, I pray everything about our walk with you would be real, even when it's messy, that we'd be honest even when we fall, that we'd be honest even when we're lost, we'd be honest even when we're frustrated and our hearts grow cold. And that we would remember, as as David was saying during the turmoil of his life, that you, when you know our hearts, will establish our steps and you will uphold our hand when we fall and we won't fall headlong, but we will get back up and follow you. Father, I pray if anybody in this room does not know Jesus, change their heart at this moment through your precious Holy Spirit that they would come to know the need to be saved and you who made that possible through your Son. And for those that do, help our hearts to love you more each moment we breathe. In Jesus' name, amen.